Hello, and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you've joined us today. We hope you're safe. If you or someone you know is in danger or feeling unsafe, please call the National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, if you are one of my faithful followers, and I thank you, you have probably noticed that it's been a while since I have recorded and posted a podcast episode here, and I want to first and foremost apologize to you for that. My life has become and gotten extremely busy, and it's almost all very, very good things. Um, this summer was very full with a lot of what I call God happenings. It was extremely busy, and I've had a couple of people mention the fact that it's been a while, it's been a minute, is the expression that a lot of people will use nowadays, but it has been a while since I've recorded a podcast. Part of that is because, um, you know, usually when I record a podcast, it's because I feel the Holy Spirit inspiring me, convicting me, or or um, leading me to post a podcast episode, to record one and post it. And I haven't felt that in a while. Um, but I finally felt that this morning. And uh, it's going to be probably a little different podcast than what you're used to hearing today. Um, but I'll just give you a little tiny bit of an update. Um, God has been doing so much in my life. And I'm sure he's been working in your life, life and lives as well. Um, thank you for listening. Uh I very much would love to hear your feedback. Uh, there is a place on some of my podcast episodes where you can answer questions or leave feedback. And so I would love to hear that. You don't have to necessarily respond to that specific episode or podcast, but you can um, put your thoughts about this or any other one there. And I learn from you too. So I would love if you would do that. Um, Probably the biggest thing or major thing that happened this summer was that I reconnected with an old flame that I had dated 32 years ago. And he and I, well, I finally officially reconnected with him or we finally f officially reconnected with each other, I guess. Yes, um, we finally officially reconnected with each other. Um, we've been reconnecting off and on probably for the past two or three years now. Um, but it came to fruition over the summer. And there are a lot of details that I'm not going to go into right now on this podcast episode. But um, clearly, he has become part of my story. And God brought us back together after 32 years. So that was quite something. Um, and it, it was wonderful. And it has been wonderful. And I'm so happy. Um, and I'm so in love. I'll just put it out there. And um, he's in love with me too. And um, we are hoping and planning on getting married someday, uh, fairly soon, hopefully. But anyway, um, I'm so happy and so blessed. And I spent probably, probably close to or about half my summer, um, you know, with him and, and us getting to 
you know, become more reacquainted with each other. And it's been absolutely wonderful. And um, God has blessed me with the love of my life. And I'm the love of his life. And I understand now why it took so long. Um, because once you find that person that God has for you, it's you just click. You just can't explain it. You just know. And I'd already always heard people say that, but I didn't realize what it was until I experienced it and it happened for me, for myself. So I'm feeling very blessed by God right now. And, um, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm far from perfect. Um, but we just mesh, we just click and it's great and it's amazing. And, um, we do weird together <laughs> in a good way. So, um, it's a very positive thing. God has bonded us, um, you know, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Um, it's just great. And so in, in many ways, and, uh, you know, I am happier than I've ever been. And, you know, most of you know, I was married once for a grand total of 17 years with three separations. And I've been divorced uh, 12 years. And so um, I I'm ready to be married again. And God is blessing. So uh, that was part of what happened. And I also got a second part-time job. Most of you know, I teach high school Spanish in a public charter school. And um, I now also teach English as a second language part-time at a nearby college. So it's been crazy busy, but all in a good way. Um, so praise God for that. So there's a little tiny update on me. Um, but one of the things, um, and my, uh, my boyfriend or unofficial fiance, if you will, um, I guess we're engaged, but unofficially, I'll let you know if and when it becomes officially set in stone. <laughs> but, um, one of the things he and I do is we pray together, um, sometimes every time we talk, but at least in the morning and in the evening. And uh, another thing we do is we try to read scripture together. And so we've been reading together in the Psalms for quite a while now, um, off and on, mostly on. Um, and so uh, recently we were reading the Psal some of the Psalms. And one verse in particular stuck out to me. We were in Psalm 72, which is a song of Solomon. And if you look at Psalm 72, verse 14, it says, He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. So um, this is, you know, Solomon starts out, Verse one, endow the king with your justice, O God. And so we know, I mean, I can infer from that phrase right there in the beginning of that sentence that Solomon is talking to God, that he's praying to God. And so in vor verse 14, um, he's talking about, I believe he's talking about God. And he's saying that God will rescue us from oppression and violence. So let me just read the psalm to you first. Psalm 72 of Solomon. And I have the NIV or the New International Version translation, which is my favorite translation. Um, but it says, 
Verse 1, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. So endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. I am not a Bible scholar, but when I read this, I think it's talking about the royal son is Jesus. Verse 3, may the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure, and if I look in my footnote, it says the Septuagint, the Hebrew is, you will be feared, as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. Verse 6, may he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Verse 8, may he rule from sea to sea and from the river, that is the Euphrates in the footnote, to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, May the desert tribes bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. Verse 12, For he will deliver the needy who cry out. So it's okay to cry out to the Lord. He will deliver the needy who cry out. And by needy, it could we could need anything. We could need deliverance. We could need whatever we need. Financial help, spiritual help, physical help. Verse 12, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. So we need to be saved from death as well. That's our salvation. Verse 14, he will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. We are precious to God. We are precious to Jesus. Verse 15, long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive. Um, and it says in the footnote that that probably means, from the reading of the original Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, Lebanon, from the city, meaning from the city. Um, and thrive, so may the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, and may it continue as long as the sun. So may the name of Jesus endure forever, and may it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him. Or then all nations will, be, will use his name in blessings. And there's a reference in the footnote to Genesis 48.20. And so, if you go back to Genesis 48.20 in your Bibles, it says, um, He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And then the footnote says the Hebrew is singular. So, your name in, in God's name, in Jesus' name. 
So if you go back to Psalm 72, flip back again. Um, again, it said, then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Verse 18, praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. That was the end of book two of the Psalms, Psalm 72. Um, so obviously we praise God. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who does marvelous deeds, deeds, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen, amen, amen. So verse 14, though, is what I want to focus on in this podcast episode. It says, Jesus, which we know, we've talked in prior episodes that Jesus is God. <coughs> Excuse me. And in previous episodes, um, we talked briefly, we're going to talk briefly now, but in previous episodes, we talked about how it says in Genesis, I believe it's chapter one, <coughs> excuse me, in the very beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word word is a, has a capitalized letter W, which represents Jesus. That's uh, a word, that word word with a capital W refers to Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So if you read that in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus with was with God in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And so we know that in verse 14 of Psalm 72, this is talking about God. It's talking about Jesus. God, Jesus will rescue us from oppression and violence. Not he might not. He could, but he will. God will rescue us from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Our blood is precious in his sight. What does that mean? Well, we are precious to God. He loves us just like our children are precious to us. You know, I think most of us, we love our children more than anything. And if you're at all like me, um, you know, I know I have always struggled with you know, when my sons were younger, God convicted me one day, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you are idolizing your children, Gwenna. And I'm like, whoa, that's deep. And I was, I was prioritizing my children over God. Um, my children, which of course I love as their mother, but they were becoming and had become more important to me than God himself. And the Bible also says God is a jealous God and we can't have that. God is a holy God. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And it is a sin to not love the Lord, my God, above all else, you know, and to be completely honest, authentic, genuine, and vulnerable. I really struggle with when I'm in a relationship sometimes not putting that person above God. You know, I want to be with that person. Those are my feelings. Um, I start wanting what I want. I start wanting my will to be done. Um, but what I should want and what I do ultimately want is for God's will to be done. And so, um, you know, if you go to, for just a second, Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, I also think, you know, just like with our children, sometimes two things. Number one, in domestic violence situations or when we're being abused, um, sometimes if you're like I was and if you're like me at all, again, you put all of your effort and all of your focus and all of your time and all of your ministry and all in your all of your love, you put that all into your children. Because, well, at least in my case, you know that it's not really doing any good to put it in your husband because he's abusing you. And my ex-husband is and was extremely narcissistic. Um, and if you don't know what narcissistic is, I mean, you can do a Google search and look it up. But basically, it means that everything's all about them. To, to, to very much oversimplify the meaning of the word. Um, and a narcissist doesn't really care about anyone but themselves. They don't really care about you. They want all the focus to be on them. They want their public image to be good. But behind closed doors, it obviously, as some of you know, unfortunately by experience, it can be a very different story. Um, and so oftentimes, I think as mothers, you know, with the God-given nature to be nurturing, um, especially toward our children. And, you know, I think as mothers, we have a, a very, um, a very special, unique bond with our own children. It's really hard sometimes to not make them our top priority because we're not getting what we need from our abusive husbands. And most of the time, most of us who are empaths, which I've read studies um, in the past year or so about how narcissistic people or men, because I'm a woman, I'm not saying it doesn't happen the other way around to men by women, but as a woman myself, my primary ministry is to women, but this could go both ways for men or women. But as a general rule, these studies say that narcissists look for people who are intelligent, kind, empathetic, compassionate, because they can use those qualities and kind of twist things around, so to speak. Um, so we're not getting what we need out of our narcissistic, abusive husbands. So we have a tendency when we're being abused by our husbands who may be claiming to be Christians, but they're not really acting like it. If they're abusing us, they're not showing the fruit of Christ. They're not showing the fruit of a relationship with Jesus Christ if they're abusing us. And um, sometimes we minimize that abuse, but that's a whole nother uh, podcast episode. But it's easy for us to start idolizing our children because we start focusing on them because they're the happy part of our lives. Even if they're disobeying or there's some issues there, we're trying to train them up in the way they should go. Um, Proverbs 22, 6. So when they're old, they won't depart from it. You know, we're doing our best as parents and we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No parent is ever perfect. No parent will ever be perfect and no parent has ever been perfect. Um, but we're doing our best. And so when we're being abused by the spouse who's supposed to love, cherish and, and protect us, and we're supposed to love, cherish and protect them as empaths, as generous, kind, caring, loving, giving, compassionate people we abuse victims often have a big, huge tendency. We often have a huge tendency to put our husband's needs above our own, which leaves us with an empty love tank. Um, I believe it's Gary Chapman 
who coined the term love tank or love bank. Um, and I believe that's in his book, The Five Love Languages, which, by the way, that's a great book. I do not recommend it for abuse because it's designed to help us understand how to give love and how, and how we receive love, which is wonderful. And I believe in alignment with the Bible and what scriptures say. But the problem is for those of us who are so giving and empathetic and caring that people who abuse or are narcissistic take advantage of that. And that is not, in my opinion, I do not believe that's what the Bible tells us. Now, inevitably, invariably, there's going to be someone who says, well, what about the scripture that says, turn the other cheek? Okay, yes. What about the scripture that forget, says, forgive 70 times seven? Yes. But what about when Jesus cut off the soldier's ear and Peter said, no, no, Peter, and healed that soldier's ear? Okay. Um, Jesus didn't always defend himself, but he did when necessary. He knew when to say something. He knew when to say something and when not to say something. And, um, I do not believe that scripture says anywhere that it's God's will for us to be abused. In fact, in multiple places in the Bible, including in Psalm 72, 14, it tells us that God will rescue us from oppression and violence. Um, I told my fiance the other day, I said, I don't like feeling controlled. And, and we were just having a conversation. I said, I don't like feeling controlled because with my abusive ex-husband, I was not even allowed to go out of the house in sweatpants. If I was wearing sweatpants, I was not allowed to go out of the house until I changed. That is extremely controlling. I am a grown woman. Um, I was a grown woman then too. I had children. And my husband was trying to tell me how I could dress. That is extremely controlling. Folks, that is a, a, a minute, minor example, but that is oppression. That is someone controlling you and telling you what you can and cannot do. Your husband or your wife is not your child. Um, yes, the Bible tells wives to submit to our husbands. But it also tells husbands to submit to their wives. Ephesians 5.21 says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Too often in churches, and maybe this is changing now, but it used to be too often in churches, in sermons by pastors and people talking and teaching and preaching the word of God. Too often we were told as wives, you have to submit to your husband because he's the head of the household, because that's what the Bible says. Yes, that is what the Bible says. But it was left out that the husband is supposed to submit to the wife too. submit to one another out of reference for Christ. And the little um, mini section subtitle, if you will, that is written in most Bibles, most Bible translation that's right above that section of Ephesians 5, says rules for Christian households. The household includes everyone in the household. So Ephesians 5.21 is talking to everyone in the household. So that means 
Yes, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Absolutely. But also husbands submit to your wives. Now, that does not mean submit to your husband's abuse of you. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell wives to submit to abuse. Allowing your husband to abuse you is not going to win them to Christ. All it's going to do is teach them that it's okay to abuse you and enable them to abuse you even more and even worse in the future than whatever they are doing or have already done or just did to you. Abuse historically escalates. It starts out small and it keeps escalating. It keeps building and building. And each time it get, can get a little worse and it usually does get a little worse. Um, I thought that I was the exception to the rule. I thought I was too smart for that, to let that happen. But I was actually a textbook case. My marriage was a textbook domestic violence case. And I was completely blind to it for a long time, for about 10 years. And I kept my ex-husband's abuse of me a secret. But he was extremely oppressive. I had to behave the way he wanted me to. Or he would go into a violent rage and oftentimes physically abuse me. Emotional abuse always goes right along with physical abuse. So the physical abuse is never unaccompanied by emotional abuse. Never, ever, ever. It's always accompanied by some sort of mental and or emotional abuse. Um, so that was oppression. Now, what is oppression? What does that big word mean? Well, in the Oxford Language Dictionary, it says that oppression is prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. Um, Merriam-Webster's meaning is an unjust or excessive exercise of power. So it can be the state of being subject to unjust treatment or control or mental pressure, pressure or distress. Um, so oppression, prolonged, cruel or unjust treatment or control. Someone telling you, you cannot go outside the home without or it, but when you're wearing sweatpants, that is definitely most definitely oppression and control. That is not okay. Talk about a red flag. Um, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're engaged to someone or you're in a relationship with someone who's trying to tell you how to dress, how to wear your hair, how to do your hair, you know, trying to tell you anything, what to wear, what to cook, what to eat, how to look, how to act, how to speak. That is oppression. That is control. And if it happens over a long period of time, it's definitely oppression. Oppression is causing, in my, my definition, is kind of, it's causing someone to act the way you want them to and demanding that they act that way. That's oppression to me. Oppression to me is not letting someone be themselves. Um, now, it's a different thing if you're trying to help someone grow but an abuser would say, oh, well, I was just trying to help you grow and would excuse the abuse 
and try to justify their abuse by making that statement. That's not what I'm talking about at all. That is unhealthy. That's a very unhealthy statement. If someone tells you, don't go outside the home in sweatpants, for I'm using that as an example because that's what happened to me when I was married, you know, that's telling you, you can't do what you want. You're a grown man or a grown woman. No one should be telling you how to dress. It's your choice how you dress. That's not okay. That is oppression. So Psalm 72 verse 14 again says, he, God, he will rescue them from oppression and violence. Okay, well, we now know what oppression is. What is violence? Now, you might be surprised at the definition of this one. Violence, according to the Oxford Language Dictionary, is behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, damage, or kill someone or something. Now, um, the law's definition is violence is the unlawful exercise of physical force or intimidation by the exhibition of such force. For example, one time my ex-husband threw a cordless phone at my head. Thankfully, I ducked quickly and it missed my head and hit the wall behind me. But legally, that would be considered violence because even though he didn't hurt, damage, or kill me, he did try to intimidate me by exhibiting the force, the physical force of throwing that cordless phone at my head. He was trying to hurt me. That is violence. Um, the World Health Organization defines violence as the intentional use of physical force or power, threatened or actual, against oneself, another person, or against a group or community that either results in or has a high likelihood of resulting in injury, death, psychological harm, maldevelopment, or deprivation. Let me read that again. Violence is defined by the World Health Organization as the intentional use of physical force or power, threatened or actual, against oneself, another person, or against a group or community that either results in or has a high likelihood of resulting in injury, death, psychological harm, maldevelopment, or deprivation. Now, I want you to take just a minute and think about that definition. Has your husband intentionally used physical force with you? Has your, be honest with your answers. Has your husband intentionally used physical force with you? Has your husband or wife, but has your husband intentionally used power with you? Ask yourselves these questions and answer them honestly, please. Has your husband intentionally threatened you? Has your husband threatened to use physical force with you? Has your husband threatened to use power against you? Has your 
has your husband threatened to use physical force or power against someone else or against a group or a community? Has your husband actually used physical force or power against someone else or against a group or community? In all those questions, is it possible that someone could be injured, that someone could die, that someone could be harmed psychologically, that someone's development could be uh, stunted, and or that someone could be deprived? Think about all of that, please. And thank you. These are all definitions and meanings of violence and related to violence. And these are all considered domestic violence. In a home, you do not want domestic violence. We want our homes to be healthy, godly, God-honoring. Lip service is what I call it when someone says they want to honor God, but then their actions speak otherwise. If I say... I love Jesus, but I'm not showing love because I'm using physical force in my home, especially with my husband or wife, whom I'm supposed to cherish and love and to whom I made vows to be loyal and faithful to. And faithfulness doesn't just include not cheating. Faithfulness includes being loyal to them and treating them well. The Bible tells us, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. A true servant leader is one who blesses his wife, not who domineers his wife and tries to control her or treats her like a child and tells her what to do. Your wife is not your child, men. She's just not. She is your equal partner, given to you as a gift by God. Treat her that way, please. Treat her how you want to be treated. She is your equal. She is not beneath you. She is not your subservient. And you are not beneath her either. Psalm seventy-two, fourteen: God will rescue us from oppression and violence, for we are precious in his sight. We are precious to God. Ladies, women, wives, Godly Christian wives, and you are godly if you love Jesus. You are precious to God. I am precious to God. We are all precious to God. We do not deserve to be abused. God will rescue us from oppression and violence, just like he rescued his people from the Egyptians through Moses. If you look in the book of Exodus, you can read that story where God delivered his people through Moses from Pharaoh, from the Egyptians. Because God delivers his people from oppression and violence. It is not God's will for us to be oppressed and for violence to be done against us. Any And anyone who tells you to be a better wife and your husband will stop abusing you, don't listen to them. They are wrong. 
the more you submit to abuse, and I personally found this out the hard way, the worse the abuse gets because what you're actually teaching the abuser is not only that they can get away with it, but that there will be no consequences for their unacceptable, ungodly behavior. When a husband abuses his wife, he is breaking the marriage covenant. You are no longer bound to him. I see questions on the internet all the time about biblical reasons for divorce. Personally, the way I read the Bible is that, and, and I'm a very literal person, um, I don't think, I think most of the Bible is not up for interpretation. That's just my opinion. And it may amount to not even a hill of beans. But I believe that um, the Bible is God's love letter to us, God's instructional book for life. And I believe the Bible tells us a lot of things. Um, but there are three reasons, biblical reasons for divorce. We all know the main one is infidelity or adultery, which is cheating on your husband or wife or having an affair with someone who is not your husband or wife. Actually, the Bible says that even if you lust after someone, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Um, but we all are pretty aware, usually most of the time, that cheating or infidelity is one of the biblical reasons for divorce. Um, some people, a lot of people, I think, are actually aware of the second reason for divorce, which is unbelief. The Bible tells us that we are allowed to divorce an unbeliever, meaning someone who does not believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, personally, I recommend you don't marry someone who doesn't believe Jesus is Lord, because if you do and they don't, then suddenly you find yourself unequally yoked, which basically means you don't believe the same thing. And that's really hard. It's hard enough to build a relationship with two people who have the same beliefs and religious foundations, so to speak, without adding the extra element. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It's hard enough to build a relationship with two people who have the same beliefs and religious foundations without adding to it by trying to intertwine two lives and two people um, and combine and mesh and mold two lives and two people who have completely different or even opposing beliefs and religious convictions or biblical or faith convictions or beliefs. Um, so, and the Bible tells us, do not be unequally yoked. The third reason is abuse. Malachi 2.16 and other verses tell us that God hates violence as much as he hates divorce. People quote, oh, God hates divorce all the time. They don't quote, God hates violence, but it's true. God does hate violence. God hates violence as much as he hates divorce. So I'm going to go to the extremes for a minute. If your husband is choking you, that's violence. God hates violence. So that means God hates that the choking of you. God hates that your husband is choking you. If God, I'm sorry, if your husband is slapping you across the face or anywhere else, that's violence. The Bible says God hates violence. God hates you being slapped. That means God hates your husband slapping you. He doesn't like it. He hates it. 
Those are just a couple of examples. You get the idea. God hates the violence. God does not want us to be subject to that. That is not his will. It is never God's will for someone to be abused. It's just not. Take the case of Abraham. God tested him and told him to go sacrifice his son Isaac. But when he got there, stopped, God stopped him. God did not want Abraham to perform a violent act against his son Isaac. God does not want us to tolerate violence invoked against us. God does not want us to tolerate violence by our husbands against us. There's also scripture that says that our bodies are a holy temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit lives in us. That means that whatever's done to our bodies, I think that means whatever's done to our bodies is done to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Trinity part of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, plus, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So um, we should be respectful of each other's bodies as well as each other's, uh, just of each other, period. So Psalm 72, 14, God will rescue us from oppression and violence because we are precious to God. I'm paraphrasing that verse a little bit to make a point. God loves us. God loves you. If your husband is being physically violent to you, and I'm not saying emotionally violent doesn't count, but there are so many women who have husbands who claim to be Christians or Christ followers who are being physically abused by their husbands. I want to address that. That is not okay. That is not godly. It is not being a submissive wife to submit to that. Your husband is not going to change because you tolerate it. You know, there's a scripture that says to win over our husbands by your gentle and quiet spirit. That's not what that's talking about. It's not talking about in the case of abuse. God does not want violence performed against us. One last thing. What if it were your child? What if your daughter or your son, what if your daughter were married and her husband were doing the things to her that your husband is doing to you? Would you want her to go through that? How would you counsel or advise her? Would you tell her that it's God's will for her to let her husband slap her so that he could be won over to Christ? Would you tell your daughter that it's God's will for her husband to choke her or punch her or push her or kick her or tell her what to wear so that he can be won over to Christ? Maybe they tell you what to wear. That's not as serious an issue, obviously, as the physical abuse. But all those things are the opposite of what godly behavior is. This is not what God condones in the Bible at all. I'm guessing as a mother myself that you would not want your daughter to su submit to those evil actions. They are violence. They are not okay. God hates violence. Malachi 2.16 God hates divorce, says the Lord God Almighty. 
or I'm sorry, I hate divorce, says the Lord God Almighty, and I hate a man who covers himself or his garment with violence. The footnote for garment is wife. So God hates divorce and hates a man who covers his wife with violence. God hates divorce and God hates a husband being violent with his wife. Now, there are translations also that say violence is divorcing your wife. That's doing violence to your wife. Um, like I said, I'm not a Bible scholar, but when I was praying after three years of gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching prayers about what to do after my last separation from my ex-husband, that is what God spoke to me. Read Malachi 2.16. And when I read it, God spoke to me, I hate violence just as much as I hate divorce. God was speaking to me and telling me that my husband broke the covenant by abusing me physically. It wasn't me breaking the covenant by filing for divorce. And I found out many years later, seven, eight years later, that people started coming to me and telling me that he had told everyone that I was the sinner because I was the one who filed for divorce. But he didn't mention that he had been physically abusing me. And that was why I filed for divorce. I gave him, I gave that man every opportunity to stop abusing me. I believed Luke 137, which says nothing is impossible with God. Which is true. Nothing is impossible with God. But what I learned was that man has free will. I can't change my husband. And God won't change my husband if my husband doesn't want to change. Of course, your husband's not going to want to change if you're allowing him to abuse you. And I'm not saying it's your fault because he's making a choice to abuse you. But in my case, I was enabling the abuse because I wasn't setting a boundary. I wasn't allowing a natural consequence to happen. I separated from him a grand total of three times, the first time for two days, second time for five months, and the third time for ended up being three and a half years until I finally filed for divorce. I went to secular and biblical counseling for years he went to a biblical counselor one time and left because the biblical counselor said something deliberately to provoke him to anger. He got angry and walked out and never went back. He refused to go anywhere people wouldn't believe him. In fact, one time we met with a senior pastor at a church, and all that morning my ex-husband, then my husband, had been yelling at me, cussing at me, abusing me emotionally and physically. We get to the appointment with the pastor. My husband puts on this cool, calm face because he's in front of a public person, a public figure, which is the senior pastor of the church. And he has me all upset and I'm real. What you see is what you get with me most of the time. Obviously, I have to be professional at work as much as possible. But I'm a real, genuine, authentic person. He's not. He puts a pretty face on in public. The pastor saw him being respectful and polite to me in front of his face and me kind of being a jerk to him because what the pastor didn't see was that he had been horribly abusive to me the entire morning and then he just turned it off like a water faucet. And that tells you that those narcissists, they are fully capable of controlling their abuse. Because they can turn it on and turn it off, what I say, like a water faucet. 
That past that senior pastor got mad at me, told me the one that I was the one disrespecting my husband because he didn't see what my husband had done to me before we got there and why I was so upset. Why I was so angry. I was angry at the mistreatment, at the abuse that my husband had just showered me with before we got there for a couple of hours and then suddenly turned it off and made himself look good and made me look bad in front of the pastor. That senior pastor unfriended me on Facebook and everything else, and I haven't heard a word from him since because he, I believe, probably was convinced and maybe even is still convinced that I was the problem in the marriage. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but that morning, that pastor should have not assumed that. And, you know, narcissists can be very manipulative. And my ex-husband was very intelligent and very manipulative about making himself look good in front of the senior pastor and making sure I looked like a crazy person, really. I mean, I was so angry. And the pastor thought I was disrespecting my husband, and I was not. I was simply responding to his disrespect and abuse of me. So the pastor walked out for a minute. He was so upset and came back. And um, I don't know, but I believe that that pastor believes my ex-husband to this day. I could be wrong, but it doesn't matter because God knows the truth. So remember, God does not want us to be abused. Violence is not biblical. It is not godly. We cannot change an abuser by submitting to them. That is a lie from the devil, from the pit of hell. Now, God loves our husbands who are abusing us just as much as he loves us. Yes, absolutely. Pray for them. But do not, please do not put yourself in danger and risk your safety or the safety of your children by being in that abusive environment. I can tell you my own children, they're wonderful men now that they're grown, but they both are suffering in different ways from having lived in an abusive home. Psalm seventy-two, fourteen: he will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Thank you for listening. I love you. But more importantly, Jesus loves you more. God bless you. Thanks for coming back and listening again. I hope this episode has blessed you and I can't wait to hear your comments. Until next time. God bless you.